Namaskaram. Welcome to the Indic Today podcast. I'm your host, Suren. And today with us, we have Sri Krishnan Subramaniam, who's a Tamil historian with a speciality in Tamil history. He's also very knowledgeable on Tamil literature and is something of a Twitter expert, resident expert on uh, Tamil Bhakti literature, especially. So welcome, uh, Krishnan Subramaniam, sir. We are really honored to have you on our show. Thank you very much. And uh, it is an honor for me as well. Uh, thanks for that uh, great introduction, Surenji. Uh, as I said, uh, it's, it's really an honor to be here and uh, more than happy to be part of the show. Uh, thanks to India today as well. Uh, we can start now. The topic for our uh, uh, podcast today is the topic of the Kalabras or the Kalapirar. So in Tamil history, the earliest uh, historical uh, period in Tamil history is the Sangam period, which is generally accepted to have been between the second century before common era and the second century after the common era. And roughly somewhere, you know, the general accepted belief is that roughly between sometime in the third century in the common era to the early parts of the fifth century in the common era, there is a gap in Tamil history for which strangely we don't find any uh, literary evidence, no much physical evidence and so on and so forth. So this is known as the Irunda column or the dark period. The reason why it's called the dark period is because we don't have much information. And the theory, uh, which has been a pretty dominant theory, is that during this period, the traditional rulers, the three Vendar, Chola Chenda Pandya dynasties, and the seven Velir were supposed to have been overthrown. And Tamaragam was supposed to be under the rule of a dynasty of rulers called the Kalabras or the Kalapirar. We will look into more detail into this subject in today's podcast. Uh, so, sir... Going directly into the subject, the very first, uh, one of the more stronger uh, evidences comes from the two inscriptions, the Velvikudi inscription and the Dalavaipuram inscription. And the Velvikudi inscription talks about a Brahmin who comes and asks a Pandian ruler for the grant of land, which was revoked by a Kali Arasan. Uh, many centuries ago and uh, who was deposed seven generations back and he comes back and asks for that land grant and that's how the story goes. Uh, so could you just throw some light on this uh, particular aspect, sir? Right. So you're absolutely right that uh, one of the substantial evidence of the Calabra rules uh, came from the Velvikudi inscriptions. Uh, before that, there were um, um, scan literary evidence here and there and uh, it was uh, buffling historians on what exactly happened between those uh, period those years uh, after sangam uh, years and then before the rise of uh, pallavas and the medieval pandyas so that way velvikudi inscriptions gave a very clear cut uh, idea of what happened it talks about the adi arasar which were the initial kings who were ruling this land being removed so they have been removed by Kali Arasan. So they have talked about the Kalabra who are Kalabranenum Kali Arasan, the Kalabras who removed these kings. And then what happened later is a Pandya the Rajan, a Pandya king rose like a sun from the ocean. 
and then what they what he has actually done is to remove back the kalabras and then reinstated the rule of pandyas so these were some of the lines which were given in the vedvikudi inscription so that that actually gave an idea that there were some uh, dynasty called as kalabras who were ruling uh, this particular land especially in madurai and then the person who removed their rule is called as kadungon because that was very clearly mentioned in the inscription itself so that gave a light of uh, kalabra as a dynasty which is which sort of uh, ruled during this period now there were mentions about this kalabras and then there is kalvar and kalapala so lot of historians got confused whether they were one and the same or not in fact some of the historians like sadashiva pandarathar were thinking that kalabras and kalapalas are two different dynasties now then came the dalavaiburam plates which came much later which got uh, uh, sort of discovered fairly late and that came very clearly saying that the kadinyayiru kavinalangar kalapalar kulam kalaindu so kalapalar is mentioned in dalavaiburam kalapra is mentioned in velvikudi so they were very clear now is that both of them were same and that particular rulers were removed by the pandya kings especially kadungon uh then there was another phrase which is sort of mentioned in both these plates uh the velvukudi uh, plates mentioned uh, manam perta king okay so manam perta means who um, removed the pride of kalabras okay so which means that it is not that they were totally destroyed but their pride was reduced from being a strong king who were ruling this particular land they were reduced to a chieftain or a vassal or something like that so that was happened in uh, that that is another inference which can be drawn from both these inscriptions sir uh, following on you know this velvikudi inscription is a few centuries after these events are said to have happened and the dalavaipuram is probably even further uh, later in time if i am not wrong this were you know somewhere in the 6th 7th century given the distance and given the fantastic nature of the story that you know a brahmin comes and says that you know seven generations back a ruler deposed and even before that my forefathers had a land grant from mudugudumi peruvaludi who is who appears in the purana nuru and you should give it back to me and the pandian king just without checking or anything how did he just give that land to them this uh, this is a fantastic aspect to the story could you please uh, shed some light on that actually if you look at the way things happened during the time this is not very unusual uh, there were a lot of instances where the grants given by a particular king got removed forcefully in many cases and also due to the wear and tear over a period of time and that got reinstated now if we look at the history of pandyas itself the everybody thought velvikudi was the first uh, copper plate before that there were another plates called as elayanputur plates these elayanputur plates were given by the nindrasir nedumaram you would have heard him about in the priya puranam and all those things right so arigesiri parangusavarman was his name so he was the person who gave this uh, uh, elayanputur grants to a brahmin now it was forcefully destroyed by people who were living there for some reason now that got reinstated about couple of centuries later because they were clearly shown that this is actually given by your forefather and then please give it back 
that happened same thing in velvikudi also see if you look at the velvikudi uh, copper plates itself that was given as you said by 7th century it was discovered in 1893 only and it was actually printed in 1893 we really don't know when was when it was unearthed how it went all the way to british museum etc so after even 1000 years we see that people find these uh, copper plate uh, grams and then try to claim even in the dilavaiburam case is another classic case where it was actually given by pandian kadungo who incidentally sort of reinstated the pandian dynasty in madurai now what happened is the similar way some land grabbers like the local dadas of our times they went and grabbed this destroyed the records and then uh, sort of uh, split the entire land into three four parts etc now during the uh, you know um, the rule of parandaga veeranarayanan who came in 8th century 9th century there was a claim made by one of his official saying that this is actually belong to my forefather and then please reinstate so dalavaiburam grants were given like that you can see similar instances in uh, pallava copper plates and pallava grants also now the other thing which we need to look in velvikudi grants is that uh, this uh, natchingan went and then uh, he sort of uh, claimed it from the streets and immediately it's not that the parandagan edinger and the pandian king gave it back uh, it was mentioned in the plates itself that he called his officials asked them to verify whether whatever that person says is correct or not ask him to prove his credentials and then documentation and then sort of give it back to them so i think that was a proper procedure follow so it is it's not a very unusual transaction it happened so i would think that that could have been a very plausible uh, story if i say that is uh, quite you know that uh, say speaks volumes to the administrative capacity at that time today for example if you know i have an encroachment on a property there is no way i can get it back you know even if it is just a small you know boundary line encroachment uh, it will just you know this will just run for years and here we have a grant which was given you know land grant which was given 200 years back and then 200 years later somebody comes and somebody who is a descendant comes and uh, claims that land grant so uh, if anything else it speaks to the administrative capacity of the time that they were able to actually have records and manage this so absolutely absolutely uh, in my you know in the uh, sub- subsequent you know the literary evidence so while i was studying this i got two uh, pieces where there is some kind of uh, you know established literary evidence one is the yapurangalam which i think if i am not wrong it is from the 10th century common era where uh, the chera chola pandiyar are supposed to have lamented about how the kalapiran came and uh, Uh, you know broke their uh, rule and uh, this is from 10th century and then there is the 12th century periya puranam where murthy nayanar is supposed to have lived in madurai when uh, jain uh, called the vaduga karnatar and that to vaduga karnatar he was supposed to be kodung kodungkon is if it's if i'm not wrong i'm not sure if the exact thing is kodungkon or kodungkol varuga karnatar was ruling madurai and he was a jain so these two pieces are put together to establish the story of a jain kalabra rulers or the kalabra rulers given again if you look at the distance in time the kalabra dynasty was supposed to have been subs, you know they were supposed to have been subdued in the 5th century the earliest literary evidence that we find is in yapurangalam and then again you know there is difference of jains 
some seven centuries later or you know probably one millennium thousand years after the events of muruganayanar puranam happened you have the periya puranam where this is happening so again how does this fit together sir see one thing what we need to see the very reason why this is this particular period is called as irundakalam is because there is not much evidence literally or otherwise uh, so in that particular period there were not many to be very frank uh, to very clearly talk about this particular uh, rulers of kalabras so whatever we need to take is what came uh, after that the uh, copper plate bands of pandyas which we talked about then the uh, evidences which we sort of mentioned periyapuranam in fact if you look at periyapuranam passage periyapuranam um, mention um, see goes from the kalabra period onwards there are few of the nayanmars who lived during that particular period so definitely there is a possibility of this particular person murthy nayanar who was there in that particular period in madurai so it actually uh, elaborates what happened to him in a, in a detailed manner and you very clearly mentioned about the verse kanakadi sur vaduga karunadam so he the, the person who came from karunadam karunadam is basically the karnataka vaduga vaduga is basically the people who are living in that uh, uh, geography so he is a person who came all the way from there captured madurai and then he didn't follow the isaivism so that's what actually um, sacred are trying to prove and this murti nayanar who was giving the sandalwood to the temple on a day to day basis every uh, sort of uh, worship was stopped in madurai so he couldn't go and then uh, provide the sandalwood to the temple and then he stopped the entire uh, sandalwood uh, transactions in and around the city itself so that nobody can go and then do the puja in the temple so he in in frustration tried to use his hand in the uh, in the stone where he used to sort of grind the sandalwood and that is where the uh, lord shiva appears and then tells that he he is going to become the okay now he is not a kalabra mutina had an assets but he became a king in between what happened to him why suddenly again kalabri instated so those things we don't know it may be an one off instance it may be a, a story which got developed further in uh, no over a few centuries etc but the fact remains that uh, there is a king from karnataka who came and then uh, defeated the kings in madurai and then ruled over there is corroborated by multiple evidences so we can take that as as a case where there is somebody uh, you know um, like murti nayanar who lived and then who has to face the wrath of the king who is not following the signs not only that there is another kalabra king who was mentioned by uh, who was mentioned in periyapuranam not as kalabra king but that person is actually a kalabra king his name is uh, kootruvan nayanar now periyapuranam just mentions the life history of kootruvan nayanar but the nambiyandar nambis tirutondar uh, tiruvandadi actually mentions that he is a kodai neduver kalappalanagiya kootruvane so he mentions uh, kootruvanayanar as a kalappalan so which means that he is a kalabra what periyapunaram says about him is that the kootruvanayanar goes to cholanadu he want to get crowned in the uh, chidambaram nadraja temple like any other sora king but they refused and then he actually no went back and then goes to lord shiva now why those guys refused uh, uh, to crown this person is a mystery people gave different reason but given that 
is a kalapala king obviously that may be the reason because though we are very clear that we will only crown people who belong to a chola dynasty you are not from chola and you are not even from this particular land you are a kalapala king so we don't want to crown you that may be the inference so there were two nayanars who were nayanars who were mentioned in periyapurana both murti and kutuva who actually belong to the kalapala dynasty so this kutruva nayanar uh, you know when i was reading the main uh, periyapuranam the kind of understanding that i got i haven't read i haven't read in your level of depth and i haven't read of course i haven't read uh, nambi andar nambi's exegesis i haven't read in the core content of the uh, uh, periyapuranam kutruva nayanar appears more like a kurulinelamallar a chieftain who is you know giving tribute and somehow who has risen to a position of power more seemed like that rather than somebody who has come from outside and captured the chodan territory what is your thinking on that sir this is a very uh, interesting topic which was debated by historians now in periyapuranam as well as in tiruvandadi uh, he was mentioned as a person who comes from a place called as kalandai okay now what is this kalandai is it from a cholanadu or is it elsewhere so that was a matter of debate and a general consensus is this, this kalandai is actually in south tamil nadu called as karavandapuram so he actually came from that particular place now how he went all the way to cholanadu it may be that the central king in madurai appointed him over there to rule the territory so he is a small king who were ruling a part of cholanadu during that time and then he tried to sort of uh, take over the entire region by sitting getting coron- no, crowned or coronated in that uh, chidambar nadraja temple there is there are a lot of possibilities but the fact remains that he doesn't belong to the choranadu but he came from the pandiyanadu is the general consensus given that he was called as from kalandai interesting that is a yeah that is probably a more in depth perspective than the rather shallow uh, reading that i had had so the second now that uh, you know in the literary output we find that you know several periods of time have occurred when non tamil speaking people have ruled over extensive parts of tamil nadu the nayakam kings or the nawab of sinji or the tanjavur uh, marathas at no point in time i mean the tamil literary output at no point in time reduced in volume so i mean re- i mean stopped completely it would have reduced in volume maybe maybe because of lack of official patronage or something even though the volume reduced but still we will find that over time the same you know uh, descendants of the you know people who were associated with the nayaka manner telugu speaking people have themselves become great uh, tamil scholars and like somasundar bharati and so on have become themselves become great tamil scholars given this situation those two centuries where there is almost like silence in tamil literary output how what do you make of it uh, see the thing is uh, the, the way i look at it the kalabras doesn't give much importance to the apart from the to- governance etc they don't give much importance to the fine arts to a greater extent it was actually a huge change from the pandya kingdom where they have actually patronized tamil by this uh, sangam right so there was bit of a shock the second thing is that they may have been a very uh, ruthless rulers okay uh, very strong rulers uh, and then that may be the reason why it was not flourished but as you rightly mentioned uh, it was not that the 
entire literary activity got stopped during the Kalapura regime. The Padinam Kirkanaku, like Kirkanaku, which basically talks about the Dharma, Artha, and Kama part of the life. It doesn't talk about the Moksha. The first three parts, Arampur, Yinpama, as we call them. The compendium of literature, which is called as Padinam Kirkanaku, most of those uh, uh, books were sort of produced or created during the Kalapura. See, Normandy Kadigai. Sirupanjamulam, so on and so forth. And if you look at it, most of them were created by the Sramana uh, poets, right? So, which, which also corroborates the fact that the Kalabras were uh, ruling that time, but they didn't stop the activity totally. People who came from outside learned Tamil and then started producing this in line with their own philosophy, which is why we, we see a lot of Sramana uh, text produced during that time. So the Padinan Kirkanaku were one of the major uh, sort of compendium of books, Tamil literature, which is produced during that time. And there are people like Karakalamayar who lived during that particular centuries. She produced a lot of books, the Arpuda Thiruvandadi, the Thiruvaratai Manimalai. So those were also produced, uh, the Bhakti literature, one or two poets like that. They have also produced. Some of them, there will be more, could have been sort of gone over the period of time. So it, it, it got reduced for sure, but it didn't completely stop, like we see in other uh, periods like this. Sir, uh, following on, popular imagination, especially some popular writers talk about, you know, situations when Tamil writing was not allowed in Madurai and, uh, you know, there was a ban on producing Tamil content, you know, literary content in Tamil in Madurai during the Kalapirar uh, rule in Madurai. How plausible are these stories? I mean, they do the rounds in popular uh, imagination. I, I really don't think so. Given that there are many books which produced during that time, uh, it might not have been patronized by kings as it used to be in the Sangam era. Uh, but there is no reason why they should hate uh, know, writing in Tamil or Tamil literature because we have seen that uh, there are strong literary uh, books which got produced during that time. Uh, so people could have done it voluntarily uh, or patronized by some small kings. Uh, there is no evidence from the historical perspective that uh, they have stopped uh, the Tamil literature during uh, the Kalabra rule. In fact, uh, there were one or two kings who patronized that as well, in my opinion. So uh, what we should do is, uh, if, uh, overall, the uh, literary activity got substantially reduced, only to be given a flip by the Bhakti movement, which came later. So. Uh, that was uh, sort of a, a trough. If you look at the way the literary movement happened in Tamil Nadu, there was definitely a gap. Uh, but uh, I, there is no evidence that uh, Kalabras were against a particular language during that time. Interesting. Interesting. So uh, uh, there is another, you know, the, uh, another thing which is shrouded in mystery is where did these people come from? Where did they come from? And they, that only one thing says Vaduga Karunatar, which means they must have been speaking some kind of Prakrit, which is today spoken in the region of Karnataka, roughly. That is what we should assume. And uh, where did they come from? Karunatar means it's also, is there any backstory to these people? Right. So what happened is... Uh... There were multiple theories of their origination, which includes an out of India theory as well. 
which happened oh. in most of the cases okay but let's 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 not go too far in my opinion i think we can zero in for uh, uh, i think there are two plausible theories one is there was a king called as pulli who were ruling the current tirupati vengadam right so that pulli was patronizing lot of tamil poets and then one of them calling uh, that person as a kalvar king okay so they some of the historians took that particular reference and then say that uh, okay so given that he is that particular kulam uh, or dynasty they would have come from the vengadam to tamil nadu that is one theory the other theory is that uh, given that the karunada as a word is very clearly mentioned in uh, not only periyapurana but also another uh, grammar new, uh, book called as kallad even that very clearly Uh, mentioned uh, karnataka as uh, means by people who came from uh, that particular place and then captured madurai so they mean, that means that they would have come from karnataka where in karnataka so they went and then did some uh, research the sarvana uh, balabala region is uh, called as kalapappu during uh, during that days so people who were living or who were ruling that region were called as kalavar or uh, no kalapra Uh, uh and this was substantiated by the literary evidence you have mentioned which is uh, yaparankalam which called us uh, which which actually eulogizing the king called us achugan it says that arulberi uh, arulburi perumbugal achugakove yenaye aadalin pani madhi tavalum nandimamalai chilamba so nandimalai the nandi hills where he was actually ruling so all these put together very clearly shows that they came from that region the south karnataka region in and around sarandabalabala chikbalapur and the nandi hills region and then they came now why did they move all the way into tamil nadu was another question so we have to go back and then look at the political scenario at that time during that particular uh, centuries the satavahana uh, kingdom was sort of weakening so they were dissipating during that time they were ruling the entire central india for a long time they were dissipating and the uh, chieftains of satavahana kings uh, major chieftains we call chalukya and pallavas they were started expanding they were started expanding and then moving towards south so these people actually started feeling the pressure and they couldn't sort of uh, fight with both chalukyas and pallavas in a greater so they moved south at that time the movenders and the velias started the means they they couldn't have any strong king who can forcefully uh, fight with them i think that might be the reason why they have come all the way from karnataka region to rule the entire tamil nadu uh, i think that theory was clearly corroborated by multiple evidence so we can take that they came from the karnataka south karnataka region and then defeated the tamil kings so it also fits the pattern that uh, saravana balagola region that region is a stronghold of uh, jain belief to, jains. to this day there are, there are lots of jains That's there it. again and the nandi hills region is again where uh, you know you have the old mysore region and again uh, if you look at the history around 400 years or so we from sangam literature the uh, movender the three vender cherachola pandyas and the velirs had a stable polity and eventually stable polities eventually become unstable over time Uh, and there was you know if you look at the again the evidence literary evidence it seems there was constant infighting between these kings and these velir so it's quite possible that uh, a power vacuum emerged and these people stepped in to fill that power vacuum now uh, yes, the uh, one question i had is you know there is 
only one name achuta which uh, appears so what is the theory on this name sir is this the name of one particular kalabra king or was it a regnal title of sorts what is the thinking around it, that it seems to be a regnal title because we find lot of achudas in the kalapala uh, dynasty uh, ruling at multiple points of time there is one person in 5th century there is another one in 10th century uh, so and then uh, the famous uh, meigandar who were sort of a father of the saiva siddhanta his father name is also achuda kalapala okay so achuda seems to be a regnal title which sort of moved over a period of time and uh, incidentally that is the name of uh, vishnu we all know so which is again an another uh, indication that uh, not all the kalabras are followers of uh, jain uh, religion so they were uh, followers of other religions uh, other religions as well during that dynasty so it was a regnal name uh, as we see multiple kings having that particular name so uh, achuta being something like the kings of thailand to this day they their regnal title is always rama so achuta could have been the regnal title of the kalapras so there is this uh, so this theory that they might have been only exclusively jain or they were very intolerant jains you know from a religious perspective uh, where and then there there is this whole history how the jains were very intolerant from one perspective if you look at the shaivite perspective they will say that the jains were very intolerant if you look at the modern day uh, other perspectives they will say that the shaivites were very intolerant to the jains and you know destroyed their via their uh, rocket uh, pallis and so on and so forth so how does that you know fit in with this kalabra story there are always uh, a lot of conflicts between religions especially during that particular time given that each were trying to sort of get the dominance and uh, rather get a limelight from the ruler during that time so this this sort of conflict is inevitable and everybody claims uh, that they were superior in some aspects and they were victims in some other aspects so i would take in that way but uh, whether kalabras were followers of a, a very strong jain uh, religion or not it, 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 there is absolutely no evidence as such uh, they came from saravana balagula and then given that that is the background they have uh, uh, jain religious background and predominantly we can see lot of them have followed that particular religion uh, we can see that in the case of murti nayana raswal the king is very clearly mentioned as somebody who followed the jain philosophy by say but there are other people like achuda um, achuda uh, who followed the uh, who followed vaishnavism uh, and uh, there was a particular verse uh, which actually talks about uh, the uvalajaisin uh, the achuda in yapurangalam which talks about aruludai uruva nirparavudum engo irularu tigiriyodu valamburi tadattai uruvanai venda iruvala irinilam kodutha dandimal which means that the person who is having the ch- uh, chakra and shangu in his hand uh, you prayed him and then he gave two lands to you which means the original land and the occupied land so it means that achuda is a follower of vaishnavism and then you he prayed to tirumal uh, which is very clearly come in aparambala uh, and then uh, we talk about uh, another king called as chendan kootan who gave a donation to uh, shiva temple in pulanguruji pulanguruji inscription talks about that later part of the uh, kalabra kings uh, we can see kokand and ravi giving grants to Sh- uh, shiva temple so 
they were following multiple religions as i said but predominantly jain probably uh, and they were very tolerant there were uh, um, achuda kalapra who was um, sort of uh, praised by the buddhas about this okay. buddha tattva era okay. so there are uh, every religion they were taking you know, uh, doing uh, good like fairly like any standard you know indian dynasty who were generally they had the king would have and the ruling family would have some kind of uh, allegiance to some religion or some they would have their devatas but they were generally comfortable with their subjects following whatever religion they wanted so this brings us to an interesting uh, question who were these kalabra kings and you know what was was there was there a lineage or a set of kings who ruled and some stories around their rule and so on right so the way we look at it uh... given that the predominant evidence of their ruling comes from madurai uh, it is very clear that there were some kings who were ruling madurai the pandiyanadu that is one aspect the second thing is uh, there were other kings who were ruling the other parts of tamil nadu obviously because it was not a single king who were ruling the entire region that was very clearly established given that we are getting lot of names around uh, so if at all uh, the, the persons who are ruling the madurai there is no very clear name which is identified it was all mentioned as karunadar or kaliyarasan so on and so forth uh, so if, who are the names if at all we can get some names of the kalabra kings i think the first comes the achuda vikrantara uh, the evidence comes from the buddhadatta mahatera Uh, who actually was one of the great buddhist monk who were living in the cholanadu and it said that the achuda was ruling from the kaveri pumbatina which is the pumbuha region and uh, this this the name of the king is achuda vikanda vikanda uh, so he um, the, the the buddha datta wrote a book called as vinaya uh, vinichayam now the chronology of the buddha datta was established because there were a contemporary sri lanka king who mentions it so that is where the 5th century thing came up where this achuda vikandan uh, has uh, come in and he is mentioning a shloka achudachuda vikande kalappala kula nandane magim samanu sasante arato samamapito so that's what uh, was mentioned by buddha datta about uh, the achuda vikandan so that is very clearly says that there is one guy uh, one person named achudavikandan as a king who was ruling the chornadu during that time many as no give him as a buddhist uh, kalabala king but there is no uh, unless uh, means just because there is a buddhist monk who wrote about him we can't conclude that he was in fact uh, patronizing the buddhist religion or not but it said that uh, he, he was actually living during that particular time and we can see another uh, achuda who came up later the aparankalam uh, songs you have mentioned uh it talks about the chera chola and uh, pandya lamenting that uh, they were all lost to this particular king and then he was uh, taken out taken all his, all their belongings to him so which clear which which mentioned there is another achuda which came later during that particular time as well may not be beyond the 5th century but somehow uh, during that particular time um then uh, the kalabra kings were there all, all throughout uh, we we um, the pulanguruchi uh, inscription is one of the um, first of the inscriptional evidence about the kalabra rule uh, um, the historians uh, give uh, a date of 3rd to 4th century uh, this particular place is near ramanathapuram which is part of pandiyanadu and the king who actually gave this grants is chendan kootra 
and there were some uh, theory that this kutruvan ayanar mentioned in periya purana may be the same thing or not so we don't have any evidence but it is a fact that the chendan kutran was a king who were ruling the pandyanadu during that time who gave this inscription and this is a vattalithu inscription uh, in uh, prakrut and that details about on tamil also and it details about uh, the uh, grants given to a shiva temple vishnu temple called as devakulam as well as a kotam which is a sramana uh, temple all the three grants were listed in detail in this inscription this is perhaps the first inscription which were from the core uh, dynastic rule of uh, kalabra then there were a later uh, period inscription somewhere around uh, 9th century uh, in the kongu region near koyambedore uh, earlier they were thinking this belonged to chera but uh, the inscription itself says that swasthi chandraditya kulathilagan sarvabhoman kali niruva kalvanayina pokandan ravi so kali niruva kalvanayina clearly says that this person belonged to a kalapala region who were ruling the kongu uh, uh, region so, i mean so i may please. i may interrupt i see an interesting thing here buddha datta was writing in pali if i am not wrong where he calls achyuta vikranta achyuta vikranta and you noticed another prakrit inscription prakrit and tamil inscription and a tamil inscription also so that prakrit was it a karnata karnataka variant or was it a generic prakrit because they seem to be more no different from the you know the pallava inscriptions or the later uh, chola inscriptions of course later on it came in sanskrit and tamil but the pallava inscriptions early ones are in prakrit so they seem to be no different in there no difference there is no difference it, it was said that the kalabras uh, followed saurasini prakrit which is one of the variant of that that was their core uh, language but uh, again there were pali there were tamil inscriptions as well this is this one is tamil in the 9th century so they were following multi multilingual policy as a, as a, as, a, as we can see uh, so the kokandan ravi and their uh, ancestors and the uh, kings who came in the line there are four five kings named kandan viranarayan ravi kandan ravi kode so those are all there do uh, rule during uh, that particular time period uh, in the kongu region so they were also kalabra so there are some other names like this which came in. there is an apart from the kutruvanayanar which we mentioned in the periya puranam in the vaishnava side tirumanga uh, yalvar is said to be from the kalabras because he was uh, called as kaliyan kalikandri those were the honorary names given to tirumanga yalvar he was ruling the ali region uh, that is during the post kalabra region a uh, post kalabra time period and uh, um, he, he kalvar so he he belonged to that kalvar uh, group Uh, all these things sort of uh, made uh, historians like m raghavayangar to conclude that uh, tirumangi alvar is also a kalabra who were ruling that region and then he became a vaishnava saint later so that is another thing who sort of uh, uh, we can mention uh, from the kalabra dynasty so we get such evidences uh, of their uh, names very interesting so their names are you know they span across history and the ravi seems to be one common name and kutru uh, <clears throat> kutran maybe may have been a common name for their rulers so because we see certain patterns like you know jatavarman sundaran these will be very yeah. similar among the pandyan rulers and uh, madurandakan yeah. these kind of names are very similar among the and again if you take the pallava rulers vishnu simha vishnu narasimhan 
you would see a pattern. Correct. So again, this seems like a pattern and they don't seem too different uh, from the various set of rulers who ruled, uh, you know, like the Pallavas or uh, the others. So this brings us, brings me to a very interesting, you know, a curious question. Uh, what happened during the Kalapra rule? What happened to the existing Muvendar, the three kings, Kerachora Pandir, and the seven Velir, Pari, Kari, Valvir, Yuri, Ayatiran, Adiman, and all these people, these rulers, what happened to them when the Kalapras were ruling? Where were they? I think they were all gone into hiding, uh, underground rather, as if we talk about the modern language, uh, because uh, for some reason they couldn't stand up to this particular rule. Um, let's, if you look at the all the three major kings, uh, the Cheras were sort of a least affected uh, because they were ruling the uh, the hilly region in the Kerala, current Kerala state. The people who were ruling the Kungu region, Kungu Cheras, they were all sort of, because they were the capital of Karur was also there for Cheras. So they were all moved uh, to the, uh, the Kerala, current Kerala region, which is beyond the hills. So not much is affected, but we don't know anything about them also during the time because of other regions. And a lot of uh, uh, migrations happened all the way from the north and then the Chera entire kingdom went through a major change during the time, which is the reason why we don't have much information during that particular period. Uh, comes to Cholas and uh, Pandyas, I think Pandyas sort of migrated out is a common conclusion. Uh, we can see that uh, during that time, there were a king called as Pandu who were ruling the Sri Lanka, which means that the probably the Pandya dynasty, somebody would have gone to Sri Lanka and established their rule. They were ruling for a couple of centuries and then the dynasty got, uh, got ended. Um, we are seeing an inscription in Champa in Thailand, uh, sorry, in the Southeast Asia, which talks about a Sri Mara, which means that there may be some Pandya linking there as well. So probably they would have moved out and then came back later. Kadungun would have been a king who would have come back all the way or he would have been there in a small place in Tamil Nadu itself. Same thing is with Chodas also. They were sort of uh, moved into some sort of a hiding, only to come back uh, later. Um, and the Velirs continued, some of them under uh, Kalabras. We can see the Kodumbalur Irukkuvel uh, inscription continuing during the Kalabra uh, uh, period. Uh, eventually, that got uh, emerged as this Bodhivikramakesari and all those people came from the Irukkuvel family only. So the Velirs continued, uh, sort of uh, changed into some other king names during that particular period and then re-emerged later. That is the conclusion probably we can have of the s kings of Tamil Nadu during that time. So this brings me to the next question. <clears throat> After the Pallavas and the Pandyas, the Pallavas rose in the north in Kanchi, and the Pandyas, uh, you know, regained their territories in Madurai. What happened to the Kalapras? Did they, where, where did they go? Did they go away somewhere or what happened? I think um, the, if we go by that uh, grants, which we talked about at the beginning of the uh, session, uh, their tribes were reduced, which means that uh, they were not totally destroyed. They were sort of moved into a chieftain or a, or a king of a, a small region, etc., which also can be uh, sort of... Uh, taken by the references of them coming again and again in many of those inscriptions. If we take Pallava, Simha Vishnu claims that he has defeated Kalabras. That's the first king which we see in Kasakudi copper plates. Then Narasimha Pallava also defeated Kalabras, which comes in Kuram plates. And then all the way through that, at the end of the Pallava dynasty, Abrajita also defeated Kalabras, which comes in the Velanjiri copper plates, which means that they were continuously having fights with some smaller kings. Uh, who were Kalabras, in, who were ruling in some part of uh, Tamil Nadu or other. 
So uh, that is the way they have sort of reduced. Eventually, they got merged with the existing uh, kings. Uh, we can see Kalapada as a reference coming in uh, inscriptions of Rajaraja Shora, uh, Kulotunga 1 and 2, and then some of the Pandya kings as well. Not as king, but some great official, one of the important uh, commander or whatever, who gave grants to some Shiva temple or Vishnu temple, which means that uh, they were eventually gone into the official duty of the three big kings or two big kings who were emerged into Tamil Nadu later. They didn't go anywhere, but uh, part of the entire Tamil community. So if we get a picture, it is of something like uh, an invasion from somewhere of a ruling dynasty occurring. Uh, and then these people for some time, over time, assimilating. And then when the older dynasties again regained their power, these people seem to have become uh, something of their feudatories. And so the power feudatories. balance just kept changing between the Muvendar and these people and so on until towards, uh, you know, by the time the 12th century or the 13th century rolls in, these people have more or less merged with the general population of the state. Uh, exactly. Of the region. Right. So if we look at it, this is not very different from what ha has happened, you know, even before and what was happening after also. There were so many, you know, dynasties which came in and, and uh, settled down. And uh, similarly, you had the Telugu Choda kings, the Renati Choda kings, who went from Tamil Nadu and went and settled down somewhere. And then the uh, Ganga Choda, the Choda Gangas in, uh, uh, you know, Odisha uh, region, again went, went and settled down somewhere. And they would have just retained some link their ancient uh, old lineage but beyond that they would have been pretty much you know local people so Correct. that's right if i may you know this in this conversation the picture that emerges is of a dynasty which is not very different from many dynasties big and small and long lived and shorter lived in all over india where they have their place in the sun they move from one place to the other they have their place in the sun and after that they they fade into relative obscurity. So, so I hope, you know, from this conversation and this information that you have shared, that the dark region period is not really so dark in terms of information. It is, uh, and it is the picture that emerges is not very different from what, uh, you know, the typical Indian dynasty, any of the Indian dynasties would have been. This is a very interesting That's and a very fascinating that's right. Uh, you would have seen that continuously happening in uh, in any dynasty. There are one dynasty which is ruling predominantly, another one comes and captures it, this becomes feudalities, and then they got even to be merged or assimilated in the entire community. This churn happens throughout the entire history, you see, and Calabras are no different. Only because there were not much research or not much evidences uh, which was found, this was called as a dark period, but continuously given that we have literary evidence, we have inscriptional evidence which is coming in and more to come. Uh, we, we don't see this as any different from any other dynasty which ruled uh, Tamil Nadu or anywhere else. Thank you, Krishnan, sir. That was a very, very in-depth and, uh, you know, uh, very de detailed, you know, uh, understanding and insights that we got from you and uh, the references uh, for our viewers, the references Mr. Krishnan has touched upon range, you know, a millennia in their uh, width and uh, range in the across Tamil literature and Tamil history and across the inscription epigraphy epigraphical history of uh, 
Tamil Nadu. So this was a fantastic session. And thank you very much, uh, Krishnan sir, for making it, taking time out and sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Surenji, and thanks indeed today. Uh, it was, as, as I was saying, it was a pleasure to share more. Uh, looking forward to another interesting session with you soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Namaskaram. So Namaskaram. we hope to see more of uh, Sri Krishnan in our future podcasts where we will probably discuss other topics related to uh, Sri Krishnan's heart with respect to Tamil literature, Bhakti literature, and so on and so forth. Thank you very much again. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much.